You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Illustrated, Matt Coulter, a former Alabama Broadcaster of the Year and longtime media personality, and Christian Miller, a national championship winning linebacker at Alabama who was drafted by the Carolina Panthers. Here's Lars, Matt, and Christian. Big Noon Sports, Lars, Matt, Christian. Thank you all for dialing in from Gadsden, Anniston, Talladega. I guess Talladega, too. Um, Tuscaloosa, where Kristen Miller is standing by, and also right here in Birmingham. Lars, uh, Trent Dilfer took the podium last night while I was over at Bartow Arena watching the basketball game. I uh, I didn't split my time up, but uh, he is the new head football coach at UAB. I reached out to UAB to see, hey, any chance you could get him on? Said, nope. You know why? He's watching all those high school players down in Auburn, and that's exactly where he should be. Absolutely. And, um, boy, I, I thought he was really dynamic uh, in his uh, press conference. In his, in his press conference. And um, it, it, just some uh, – here are a few things that y- you need to know um, about how this all came about. Um, the athletic director at UAB, Mark Ingram, he was introduced to Trent Dilfer through a local businessman, and a, a, it was a, ended up having just a, a casual phone call. Uh, Ingram thought it was going to last maybe a couple minutes, but they talked for more than an hour, and then they had more conversations, started talking, and Ingram became more interested. I think Trent became more interested. And that eventually sealed the deal. And uh, and Mark Ingram, he said, you know, he never expected to hire a high school football coach, but his background in the NFL uh, and when his background in, in being at ESPN, which raised his profile, I think, even more, right? He was a first-round draft pick and played at Super Bowl. But when he was at ESPN, it's like he was introduced to a whole new generation of younger people. And uh, in, in the world of recruiting, that matters. And um, so, you know, uh, it, I think if Bryant Vincent had gone, had a better season than 6-6, six and six, my gut tells me that he probably, maybe, let's say he goes 9-3. Uh, and three. I think he probably keeps the job. I would agree. Um, and, and, and one last thing, that, that, that Trent Dilfer, he admitted that he doesn't know how to recruit at an elite level, but he's going to hire people who do know how, and he's aggressively going to go after it, and he's going to learn on the job. And I think this is really exciting for UAB football. I, I, I just, again, we mentioned it yesterday. We used the metaphor this is Mark Ingram swinging for the fences, and it's either going to be a uh, Babe Ruth-like moonshot home run, or it is going to be a strikeout. Uh, one of his first recruits should be Trent Seaborn from Thompson. <laughs> but he's an eighth grader, so he's got a while to work on him. Christian Miller joins us from our studios in Tuscaloosa. Uh, Christian, uh, any, any thoughts, uh, since we, we've heard from Trent Dilfer, any thoughts on that hire? 
I think it's going to be a good hire. You know, Lars says it perfect. You know, it definitely is kind of swinging for the fences. But, I mean, if you look at it, the guy has a great track record. Um, maybe not as a, as a head coach on, on a higher level yet, but, you know, he's had success as a player. You know, he, he develops quarterbacks really well. Uh, I'm sure he's going to be able to bring in an electric staff to kind of match his energy, you know, because he has a lot of energy himself. And so I think he's going to be really good for the program. As long as he can recruit some good players in there to help him out, you know, I, I think it, I think it should work out just fine. And I, I think this is kind of a new trend we're going to start seeing. Matt, we got to get into what happened in the, in the uh, Super uh, at Super Seven Class A state title game, and we are going to be talking about this for a while because I it is so extraordinary, and we're going to have a guest on in the second hour who is there who covered it, and uh, she will shed more light on it. Uh, Danette Logan, uh, who is a longtime sports producer uh, at NBC affiliate here in Birmingham, but. Um, just why don't you just sort of lay out uh, what what went down last night? Well, just a, a brief history. Uh, first of all, this guy's five ten, weighs about one hundred and sixty if he's soaking wet. Fourteen. But Fourteen. He's an eighth grader. He doesn't even go to the school he won a state championship with. Is it? That's just. But of course, he's eligible. So he's he's middle school, but he's an eighth grader. And last night against Auburn, very very good football team. Uh, Thompson ripped Auburn 49-24 to on the arm of Trent Seaborn, who was 12 of 15, 207 yards, five touchdowns. Here's one of the, the real telltale stats that I saw. He was uh, on third downs. He threw for 67 yards and three touchdowns. Yeah. And this is it's... 7A. He's a 14-year-old playing. He looks a little older than a fourteen-year-old physically. Have you heard him speak? Uh, not a whole lot, by the way. Have you, go listen <laughs> to him that? speak, Matt. He has he has a deep voice and everything. His I mean, his face he looks to, to me he looks kind of young, <laughs> but if you listen to him talk, yeah. I mean, he sounds so much older. Well, I think they dropped, and I'm not going to go into any more detail than other than what we all know. But uh, he, uh, uh, he, oh boy! Well, I was watching him last night. And obviously, the stats, if you've seen any of the highlights, he didn't play like one. He was really cool. I kept looking and going, really? Looking at his head, looking at his eyes, looking at his arms, looking at his mute. I mean, and, and folks that live in the state and listen to the show understand that's Thompson, okay? That's not a 1A school in East Alabama that they're forced into a situation where they've got to play an eighth grader. Uh, they had a quarterback earlier that's doing quite well for the Warriors, Zach Sims, but he got hurt. And this kid just came in, Lars, took over, and the rest is history, but I'm sure there's a lot of history to be made in his future. Well, uh, you know, for so, for a kid who's 14, he actually has some history. Um, the, the Thompson coach, Mark Freeman, um, reportedly uh, he told uh, the Tuscaloosa News that he met Seaborn when Seaborn was in third grade. What? Met him in third grade, and he, quote, knew he was a special person then. All right, Lincoln, my son is in second grade. Second grade. I mean, he's got a, he's got a cannon for an arm right now, but, uh, boy, it'd be hard to project him uh, winning a state championship in, uh, in seven years. It just it, it blows my mind. 
and also according to various reports that he already has scholarship offers from Colorado, Maryland, and Troy. And you know, after last night's performance and just winning this the the state title, this kid's going to have offers coming from everywhere in the country. And um, don't be surprised if you see him, uh, you know, uh, going to either Alabama or Auburn because you know that there there there's going to be a fight uh, fight for him. And um, I, it's amazing that he's going to be a freshman in the class. He'll be a freshman in 2023. So what does that make him? The class of twenty twenty eight, right? Twenty twenty three. I just hope I'm around to see him graduate. Twenty five, twenty six, or maybe twenty seven. I, I, I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm so bad at math. But what a story! And and this is uh, not just a big story here in Alabama. It's national. So here, here here's my question to you, Christian. When you were in third grade, were uh, high school coaches coming after you? Third grade, absolutely not. Maybe once I was in middle school, around sixth or seventh grade, I'm sure I had high school coaches talking to me, you know, kind of just for fun and also just because I had an older brother who was, you know, a really good athlete, and I'm sure they knew my dad obviously had a background in athletics, uh, being a former player himself. But, I mean, just to, to see an eighth grader go out on the varsity level and perform the way he performed, throwing 12 or 14 in a state championship game in the 7A class high school football game. That, I mean, that is so impressive. I mean, I look back at when I was in eighth grade and, you know, I was mature for my age and I was a little taller. You know, I was maybe 6'1". Um, but to think that I would, you know, go and perform like that uh, on the varsity level at that age, I mean, I don't even think I would have been able to do that. And I was probably a little little bigger than he was but it's just so impressive and i think the sky is the limit for this kid and uh i'm really excited to see what he uh, what he does going forward because he truly is a special talent if he's playing like this uh at that age but i'll even add on i mean just reading that you know he gave the mvp trophy to a senior receiver and uh it sounds like you know he's just as talented you know and impressive off the field um, which i think is awesome and uh i think anytime you have somebody with that combination of athleticism and talent and also just character like that at, that, at such a young age, um, I, I truly feel like he can accomplish anything he puts his mind to. Quotes I read from their head coach, uh, Mark Freeman, which, by the way, that's what, five in a row? It's just an incredible Power. program. I mean, they're, they're, they're the new Hoover where they have been for quite some time. But one of the he said his biggest attribute is he's just smart. Mm-hmm. said he got the offense. Freeman's an offensive guru. He said he, he learns the offense. He gets it. He understands it. And obviously he did the way he moved the football, but he was dropping dimes, 30 yards. It was incredible. A friend of mine texted me early this morning, and he said, when I was in eighth grade, it was I was lucky to put my shoulder pads on right. You know? Eighth grade, Lars. When I was in eighth grade, I was lucky to find where math class was. I mean, uh, <laughs> it's just, this is just a crazy like story. I mean, you know, uh, I... I don't know. I, I don't even know. I'm I'm sort of out of words to uh, describe what happened, and and that's why we're going to have a, a guest join us who covered the game last night. But um, Christian, where you grew up in South Carolina, was there open enrollment? And that, what the what I'm really getting at is, were you kind of recruited by different high school coaches, or were you, based on where you lived, were you just destined to go to uh, the high school that you eventually attended? 
Yeah, so we had uh, like zoning principles. So I had to attend the the high school that my uh, that I was zoned for, um, depending on where I lived at the time. So I, I wasn't really recruited. Now I will say, uh, the private school system um, is a little bit different back home. Um, those schools do tend to recruit, quote unquote. Um, they're allowed to offer scholarships to kids to attend the school. Um, but yeah, for public schools, no, you, you pretty much have to go um, to the designated high school that is uh, zoned for your area. What were you doing in the eighth grade? Man, in the, eighth, in the eighth grade, I, uh, I played both football and soccer for my school. Yeah, I was at E.L. Wright Middle School in Columbia, South Carolina. Go Warriors. <laughs> and uh, I was also doing some there skateboarding. Go again. Yeah, some skateboarding, some fishing. And uh, I was just, you know, being a kid, I was enjoying it. Now, I don't think I was winning uh, uh, high school state championships, but, um, you know, kudos to him. That is awesome. I was chasing girls. <laughs> you, uh, you're pretty fast. How'd that work out for you? It actually worked out really well. Uh, you know what I thought about when I first started reading about this more and more this morning? I thought about Sports Illustrated and inside the scorecard. Yeah. Those little paragraphs. Faces that they would in the have, crowd. Faces in the crowd. And I thought that kid would be. Yeah. That, do they still do that or do you not? No, no, uh, no. And, uh, but I when I was there, first. when I was there, uh, that was the one job you never wanted to do was faces in the crowd because it, it was a tremendous amount of work and 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 it, you you weren't really showing off your writing or your reporting. You're, no. It was just the facts, ma'am. And uh, I, I remember one. Uh, a, a reporter named Candace. She did it for like four years, and she was just miserable. But it was always one of the most well-read yeah. sections of the magazine. That and the uh, the, the final page by Rick Riley um, uh, were the the two most popular parts of the entire magazine. Well, I had to go to the first four pages. The photography was just outstanding. Yeah, the leading off pictures, just, just yeah, really amazing. great stuff. Uh, coming up on our show. Big Noon Sports will be joined by another Miller. Corey Miller will join us at the bottom of the hour. And as Lars mentioned, uh, Donette Logan, will, uh, who was in Auburn last night watching all the high school games, will be with us as well as you continue to listen. Stay with us. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Tide 100.9 presents a night with award-winning Elvis tribute artist Jerome Jackson. Friday, December 9th at 7.30. 41. For tomorrow, partially sunny, the high 66. And for Saturday, mostly cloudy with a chance of a few passing showers, the high 65. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 51 degrees in Tuscaloosa. This whole season, um, I couldn't have done it without my teammates, without my coaches, uh, and then without and the quarterbacks in the quarterback room. I mean, they're all great supporters of me. Um, they've helped me so much throughout the season. Um, you know, it's crazy. Every year I done played, you know, we came out victory on top. So, you know, we worked hard this season. We had ups and downs in the beginning. A lot of people doubted us, but we came through. 
Sports, and you just heard from the man, and that's Trent Seaborn, who the entire nation is reading about and watching highlights of. In case you are just dialing in Big Noon Sports with Lars, Christian, and Matt, um, he led Thompson to a 49-24 victory in the 7A title game last night at Jordan-Hare Stadium, and he is a mere eighth grader, which is still an unbelievable statistic, especially when you consider Thompson is at the top 7-8. They're one of the uh, most renowned programs in not just Alabama, all across the nation. So that's a big story. And Donette Logan will join us later to go in deeper dive. Can I ask that. you a quick question about Thompson? How did Thompson surpass Hoover as the dominant program in Alabama? Well, they were real close with Hoover. Uh, first of all, they have a, a very large enrollment. They have a beautiful school. Um, but they hired Mike, Mark Freeman. I think he was somewhere in South Alabama, maybe, and correct me, maybe in Spanish Fort or something like that, somewhere down in the Mobile area. They brought him up. And I, I guess to word this carefully, uh, there's kind of a transfer portal in, in high school football. You, you asked about that just a little while ago. And I think there still kind of is. Uh, this guy was in Colorado a year ago. And now he's suddenly, um, he's at Thompson. I, I'm certainly not alleging anything. In fact, that that is done now. Uh, it is indeed. But it's a remarkable story. And one of the other things I wanted to add, how you win a championship like that, here's a great stat for you. Thompson allowed Auburn four yards in the first quarter. Wow. 21-0. So th- that's, that's how you get the lead. Lars, I was very saddened to hear of the passing of Gaylord Perry. He lived a full, full life. He passed away yesterday at the age of 84. Yeah, just an amazing guy on the mound and off the field. He was a real character. He was known for his spitball. And, in fact, he wrote a book about throwing a spitball in the middle of his career. <laughs> I mean, it's like everybody knew it was coming. Everybody knew he was throwing it. Um, just not real sure there was a deep dive on whether or not how he's doing it. Did he have a little Vaseline on the bill of his cap? Has he got something air up under his armpit? Exactly how was he doing it? But even if he was throwing it, it doesn't, it doesn't cast, into, in my opinion, any uh, shadows on his career of 314 wins, 22 years, 3,534 strikeouts. He won, and he may still be the, no, I think, did Clemens do it? He won uh, Cy Young's in both both leagues. Yeah, he was the uh, first pitcher to do it. He was the first pitcher to do that. Uh, also, I remember he had a brother that was a really good pitcher um, named Jim, uh, Jim Perry. But uh, here's the one thing that, just you'll never hear this again it's just not baseball anymore unfortunately you want to take a guess how many complete games he threw hmm. uh 30 303 <laughs> oh my gosh yeah i was wow. not even close that's that's back Holy in the day as he was quoted when he came into the 60s you went nine or you might not start again yeah that is just from a completely different era and uh, I, I remember him just a, a little bit and uh, in, in seeing him pitch. And you go back to his first team, and that was with the San Francisco Giants in 62, and he played with four other future Hall of Famers on that team, Willie Mays, Willie McCovey, Juan Marichal, and Orlando Cepeda. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, he won, uh, he won the Cy Young in Cleveland in 1972 and then in San Diego in 1978 when he won that second Cy Young, he was 40. Yeah. 
40 years old, and uh, and you're right. His brother Jim, uh, he played with him, another, also a pitcher. Um, they he played with him in Cleveland, and they played to, in 1974, and they played one full season together. And of the team's 77 wins, the Perry brothers won 38 of them. <laughs> uh, so their combined win total of brothers is 529, and that trails only... The Negroes at five thirty. At, at I'm sorry, they won five twenty nine. The Negroes won five thirty nine. So what I am really interested in, and uh, you mentioned his 1974 autobiography, "Me and the Spitter." What exactly is you're our baseball expert on the show, Matt? What is a spitball? Well, it originated with exactly. And by the way, it wasn't outlawed until, you know, maybe even in my lifetime. You know, everybody threw them. Um, it's when you get some moisture, you know, they, they elevated their game to not just spitting. You cannot, and I think this is still true today, you cannot put your fingers, your hand in your mouth if you are on the mound. Now, if you circle around it, did you guys know this? If you circle around it like you're between the pitcher's rubber and first base over there in the grass, you can lick your fingers all you want to. Once you get on the disc, on the mound, oh, I didn't you know cannot that. go fingers mouth. So that's to mound. why they walk around the mound. Well, that and among other things, you know, some scratching and some looking and some, you know, that yeah, kind of stuff. Yep. But uh, if if you get just the right amount on the seams or on the ball, you, it, it puts a wicked spin on it. Very difficult to pick up and very difficult to hit. But as you know from seeing some video from time in the past, uh, other pitchers uh, went a little bit further than that. You remember Joe Necro? He had a uh, yeah. he had a nail file, you know, an emery board in his back pocket, and they caught him with it. Um, other pitchers would use Vaseline, pine tar, various substance, but it just put a wicked, wicked curve that was very difficult for hitters to uh, catch up with uh, or make contact with because it was unlike a curveball or a slider uh, or a fastball with movement, and it certainly served him well. But I'm pretty sure he would have won a few, few games so you, with his stamina So you basically alone. would use saliva or yep. petroleum jelly, and that alters, apparently, the wind resistance and weight on one side of the ball, and that causes the ball to move in a atypical manner, right? And it also can cause the ball to slip out of the pitcher's fingers without the usual spin that accompanies a pitch. Right. And so the batter can't read it. And so I, I've heard people describe it as a spitball, as basically a fastball with knuckleball action, right? And it, it's been called a spitter, a mud ball, a shine ball, a super sinker, or a Vaseline ball. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, it, he, this Gaylord Perry, he was, he was a character, and uh, it, it, there aren't... There aren't people like him around anymore. Um, and, you know, who was it? Uh, Phil Necro had that, uh, what, that emery paper yeah. that sort of, that he that fell out. Of yeah, his it was his bucket. brother, Joe. Oh, Joe Necro, yeah. yeah. So that's the same thing, right? Yeah. Because it roughens the ball. Yeah. And that just doctors it and causes the ball to move in ways that batters aren't used to seeing it move. Is, am I correct in yeah, that? Yeah, and scuffs do the same thing. You ever seen a ball in the dirt in major leagues these days? Catcher picks it up, throws it out. They don't even throw it back to the pitcher anymore. 
I mean, it's just an automatic. Well, hey, Christian, thanks for joining us in this segment. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we just totally left you out of the picture, sorry, man. Christian. I am sorry. No, you guys are just fine. The only thing I'll say about Gaylord Perry, he is a Carolina guy, so I pay my respects to him. And uh, uh, I, He was before my time, obviously, but sounds like he was quite the athlete. With over 300 perfect games, that's, that's impressive. He's from Gaffney. Do you know where that is? I y- guess you yes, would. Yes, sir, the upstate of South Carolina. Isn't it like... Yeah, isn't there, like, furniture, a big furniture place in Gaffney? I could be wrong. I don't know. I've, I've been through Gaffney many times. <laughs> I'm not sure about that. They used to have a good football team. Back there. <laughs> oh. But I tell you what, one other thing, and we'll go to the break, because Corey, uh, Corey Miller is going to join us in a minute. Um, man, he didn't He didn't even look like a pitcher. <laughs> You ever looked at? I mean, he's he, didn't he look looked like, like a bowl. He looked like a bowler. Yeah. Excuse me, I just offended <laughs> all the bowlers, but I think you understand what I mean. Hey, uh, Corey Miller, the father of Christian, is up next. From T Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. It's pro time because at Lowe's, it's Provember. Save big with inventory you can count on, like Flex products or DeWalt power tools starting at just Back on Big Noon Sports, Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter, along with Christian Miller. Hey, we got a lot of things to talk about. We're going to talk more about the high school player, uh, Trent Seaborn, in a second hour with um, your your Logan. Yeah, Danette Logan. Danette Logan will be with us. Uh, she is at Auburn covering the games down there. Also, some NFL notes, um, Buffalo and the Patriots. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Mickey Joseph, you're a Nebraska guy. There it is, Christian. I brought Nebraska up first this time, but <laughs> it's not on a very good note. No. Um, no. And then I went to the UAB basketball game last night. The Blazers are pretty good. But right now, Christian Miller has a special guest. Yes, sir. We are now joined with Corey Miller, nine-year NFL veteran, USC, that is University of South Carolina, Athletics Hall of Fame inductee, and also my father, known as a pastor of pain. How are you doing today? Doing well, guys. Hope you, I'm glad you clarified that. That We like to call it the real USC. Oh, Lord. We've been in existence a lot longer than the left coast USC, so make sure people across the great state of Alabama and wherever you're listening to on uh, your stream, you understand that one. So thank you very much, son. Yes, sir. No problem. Uh, I just wanted to ask, you know, Tuesday the playoff committee released their updated rankings, and uh, most notably Ohio State was at number five ahead of Alabama, who came in at number six. Just what are your thoughts on that, and uh, was there any surprises in that? I know you probably want to talk about your Gamecocks. You know, they came in at number 19. So uh, I'll let you let yeah. you uh, share some knowledge on those guys as well. Yeah, you know, I, I thought Alabama had a great chance of coming in at number five, and, yes, I'm biased. Uh, to Alabama, I thought after watching Ohio State being at home, you know, a big rival game, you know, looking to pay back Michigan after the loss last year, after being dominated in the trenches and how they lost that ball game, that they were going to, you know, 
win this football game. And they got 28 to 3 in the second half. I mean, they got boat raced. And I thought, you know, with the committee looking at that and it's fresh on your mind after seeing that and Alabama just sitting there, even though with two losses, that they would have a chance to be in that five hole. But I was a little bit disappointed about that because, listen, I don't get caught up into the two losses, the one loss. I mean, Alabama was ranked in front of a Clemson who was had one loss before South Carolina game, uh, LSU as well. So I don't, I don't get the whole thing about, you know, Ohio State is better or they played a tougher schedule because of the win over Penn State or Notre Dame. So I, I think Alabama should have been at number five. I mean, you don't lose at home. You can say what you want about Alabama. But they lost two games that combined four points. On the road in hostile environments, and Christian, you know this as well as anybody, how difficult those games are. You know that people get up and play their best game against Alabama. Now, they lost, but it was the last play in each of those ball games. To me, I, I would take that side instead of having a team that gets boat raced by their rival at home. To me, that's very disappointing, and I would have had Alabama in that five hole, but but, you know, it is what it is. And then in South Carolina, getting their highest ranking at 19th uh, in the college football playoff era poll. Uh, a lot of excitement here. Um, and uh, looking forward to see what they can continue to do with the chance to win their ninth game, uh, probably in the Florida Citrus Bowl and or I forget whatever they call the old Outback Bowl, but I think that's where they end up. You know, I just want to, speaking on South Carolina, what is it that, you know, Shane Beamer brings to that program? I mean, obviously they've really turned it around in recent years, and he just has – you know, that football team playing on a whole nother level, and it looks like he's just revived that program. What is it that he brings to them, and, and, and how important is he in, in all the success that that program is having right now? You know, Shane Beamer brings energy. He brings positivity. You know, you're talking about changing the climate and the culture and all that stuff that's tossed around. And he has definitely done those things. I mean, you know, the positivity, he says something, you know, find your joy, talking to the fan base. I mean, they're always looking for the – Negative things. I think I've even had heard Coach Saban even though allude to something along those lines with fans. You know, find joy, find joy in the in, in the progress, find find the joy and in, in, in trying to change the culture. And he's done that, getting these kids to believe that they can win, getting these kids to believe that they're better than what the outside world is saying, better than what Jesse Palmer was saying or ESPN on their game day picks. That you're better. Nobody respects us but us. And uh, that's the message that he's been preaching, even after the loss uh, to Missouri, even after the loss on the road at Florida, where they look horrible. But this team bounced back and won the final two games over, I guess, top eight teams in Tennessee and Clemson on the road. So I think that's really crucial, getting guys to believe in themselves, getting guys to believe that you're better than what people are saying, uh, that you're better than what your circumstances may look like. And, and I think that's, that's something good in your personal life because people are going to doubt. People are going to tell you you're not as good as you are. You're never going to succeed, but you have to take a different approach. And I think Shane Beamer at South Carolina has got that attitude into this program, and, and these guys are believing. And when you win big games, it helps you recruiting, and, and, and therefore your culture changes. And I think Alabama could use a little bit of those of what, what's happening here in Columbia, South Carolina right now. Corey, I want to stick with uh, the real USC, as you refer to the South Carolina Gamecocks. I love, I love that. 
Um, I can't be obje- objective when it comes to Shane Beamer because he's he's become a, a, a good friend of mine over the years. Gotten to know him through Bruce Arians. Uh, we played a lot of golf together. I was texting with him after the Clemson game, congratulating him. Do you think that South Carolina can hang on to Shane uh, you know, for the long term? Because you know... When there are some high-profile coaching jobs uh, coming available here in the next year, two, or three, Shane Beamer is going to be getting phone calls. Yep, absolutely. Matter of fact, it's uh, interesting that you, you, you're saying this. I just left the barber shop, and uh, I was telling uh, the guys in there that that's that's the problem right now because you know Shane Beamer has come to this program after the team has won went what two and eight, uh, you know four and eight, whatever it was, some bad seasons. Now you. You take this team to become bowl eligible back-to-back seasons. You beat your in-state rival that hasn't been done in the last seven years. You beat a highly ranked team in Tennessee, knock them out of the playoffs. Absolutely. And that's why, you know, you got to be Ray Tanner, the athletics director. You got to go, we got to get this guy a big-time contract right now because everybody's going to come, come, you know, I like to call it poaching. They're going to try to post this guy, especially maybe a Virginia Tech where his father was a legend and the Hall of Famer. They will love to have Shane Beamer there. So you got to pr- protect that. And I know right now they're negotiating a contract for him. I think he was making like $2.75 million a year. I think that's probably at the bottom, probably next to Vanderbilt's coach. But I expect him to probably double that at least, um, even more, $7, $8 million for a long-term type of deal. And they'll make it very difficult for him to get out with some type of buyout. That's what I would do if I was Ray Tanner. I'll make sure I was satisfied. This, this man right now, because I think they got the right coach. He wants to be here at South Carolina, take care of him now, and just say, hey, man, give him everything he needs to get the new offensive coordinator to continue the success here at South Carolina. So I think it's going to get done probably the next couple of weeks or a month or so. I think you'll see Shane Beamer with a very nice contract going forward. Corey, I got to stop and just comment on a phrase you just used because uh, you showed me even more reason to like you. You kind of went old school. You didn't get a haircut. You went to the barber shop, and you can you <laughs> and you I go. can explain the difference. That's a big difference, isn't there? That's a huge difference, man. I mean, the, the barber shop. Nobody. Oh, I'm going to get a haircut. I'm going to the stylist. Come on, that's what's wrong with our culture right now. I mean, they're going to the stylist. You know, we went to the barbershop. We go to the barbershop with deep conversations and solving issues and laughing and calling each other out. That's the barbershop. <laughs> You're awesome. Christian, do you go to a barbershop or a stylist? I, I go to a barbershop myself. You know, I do have my long hair, but so I'm not really getting haircuts. You know, I'm just kind of getting it, you know, lined up and cleaned up. But no, I go to a barbershop. It's always fun. Another reason why I like you, because I'm right there in the same boat. We'll have more with Corey Miller on the other side of the break. Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside, this is Big Noon Sports. Meet Joe A, Hi. Joe B, Hello. and Joe C. What's up? Three everyday Joes perfecting their banking with Chase. Joe A is locking his lost debit card with the Chase mobile app. Joe B. 41. For tomorrow, partially sunny, the high 66. And for Saturday, mostly cloudy with a chance of a few passing showers, the high 65. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 52 degrees in Tuscaloosa.
Back on Big Noon Sports, Matt Coulter along with Lars Anderson, Christian Miller, and Corey Miller. And we're talking uh, all kinds of football. Touched on college. I want to get to the NFL real quick. And honestly, this is kind of a personal question because, Corey, I have been a, a Green Bay Packers fan since my father told me Bart Starr was from Alabama. Uh, just a quick take on where they are with Aaron Rodgers. And I, I don't think we got a snowball's chance of making the playoffs, but where is Rodgers, and is he going to go down in history as a successful but hated quarterback? Wow, that's a great question. I, I mean, listen, Aaron Rodgers, to me, should go down as one of the greatest quarterbacks. I haven't seen many people, and I played against a ton of Hall of Famers, you know, uh, back in my day, in the decade of the 90s, that he could spin the, <clears throat> spin the football, could throw it, better than anybody with that quick release. He's won a Super Bowl. He's won back-to-back, you know, play of the year. But the problem is, with all this stuff in the offseason, you know, this hallucinating drug, whatever whatever he's taking, and he just did some weird stuff. He became weird. I mean, I played up in Greenville, South Carolina, golf event, and met Aaron, nice dude, seemed fine, fun to hang out with. But, man, he just got weird. I mean, you know, just. I don't know. And then he's having a bad year. And the stuff he said, he's blaming the receivers. He's blaming, you know, the organization. And uh, it's just not ending well for him. But but I respect nothing uh, but his game, man, and, and what he's accomplished. I know people would say he needs another Super Bowl to get in that elite status. But I got mad love for Aaron Rodgers and his ability to play the game. But unfortunately, right now, just kind of getting weird. You know, sticking, <laughs> that's, uh, that's one way to put it, sticking with the NFL. You know, Vaughn Miller is one of the, the recent uh, victims, um, you know, of suffering an injury. Um, a lot of people have been bl- blaming the turf. Um, just going back to your playing days, and I know fields have probably changed quite a bit. Um, did you have a preference of, you know, turf or grass? And uh, did, you, did you feel that turf was, um, you know, that threatening to, to, you know, make you more liable to be injured? Man, I would prefer grass all day, every day, and for sure twice on Sunday because, you know, we played at our stadium. Giant Stadium was horrific. I mean, it was basically like putting a little thin piece of carpet on asphalt. Yeah, it made you run faster. Now, were you talking about speed? Oh, you felt like you were flying and had air behind you running on that turf. But, man, your elbows and your knees and trying to stop and change direction. I've seen knees just blown out. I mean, Veteran Stadium. I mean, Philadelphia had the worst field. I remember a kid that played receiver at LSU blew out both his knees at the same time. And, you know, the fields were so bad. So I don't know about this new uh, field turf, but it's obviously a problem. I think every field should be grass just for the, the sustainability of, of the body, the knees, and these joints. I can tell you right now, I'm, I'm paying a, a severe price in my joints from playing on national turf. It's just not good. And grass, you may not run as fast. Some people let it grow long to, to make you slower. But it's so much better for your body. So I think the NFL needs to look at it and, and get to some real grass. I mean, if you put real grass on the platform and slide it out, you know, if you got an indoor facility, whatever it is. But I, I prefer grass all day and every day. Sticking with the NFL and the Buffalo Bills, and who are are playing the New England Patriots tonight in New England, 
um, in, in, in Von Miller. So he said that he's going to be back, he hopes, by week 14, and it's a meniscus issue in his knee. Uh, the injury at the time certainly looked a lot worse. And really, this question is for both uh, Christian and Corey, and I'll go to you first, Christian. Can the, how important is Von Miller to that defense, and can the Bills win the Super Bowl if Von Miller can't come back? Oh, he's huge for that defense. I mean, he leads the team in sacks. I think he has eight on the year, and uh, he was that veteran presence uh, for that unit. You know, they have some younger defensive ends behind him, so he was um, critical in their development. And uh, he just he provides a lot of energy. And you know, again, I'm biased, but at the same time, it's it's just a fact. You know, pass rushers affect the game tremendously. You know, when you put a quarterback on his toes and make him uncomfortable back there, you you set him up for air and throws, and and uh, he makes mistakes. He has to get the ball out quick. Receivers don't have as much time to get downfield and get open. So um, he provides uh, so much value to that defense. Now, I do think the guys behind him will step up. You know, in the NFL, you know that's what they say: next man up. You know, because injuries are a given in the NFL. It's uh, they're inevitable, but um, I, I do feel that you know they might take somewhat of a step back without him. But I'm sure they'll um, find a way to get those young guys going and get them involved. And uh, I think they still are contenders um, even without him. But he is a huge part of that defense. Yeah, I, I agree, Christian. I think you know he means so much to that defense. We're talking about a guy that brings that consistent pressure off the edge and big critical third down plays. He comes off, he, he creates havoc. Even if you don't get sacked, you know, he makes the quarterback they, you know, step up in the pocket or move around in the pocket to make throws very difficult. And then think about this, Von Miller from Denver uh, to the Rams. I mean, he's very critical. And then winning that Super Bowl, think about the big plays he made in that game last year. And now being with Buffalo, they expect the same thing, that, that to be that guy that comes up with a big play, that critical third down that you know you're going to get in the playoff and or the Super Bowl. So it's very, very critical that he gets back because he means that much. Uh, the leadership, he's been there. Buffalo's trying to get that accomplishment. Well, you got a guy who's played in these big games, and you need him on the football field for his play and for his leadership. Do you have a pick tonight? In the NFL, you got Buffalo and the New England Patriots. Where's that game at? Is it at Buffalo? It's at New England. You know what? I, you know, Buffalo's a better football team, but I just know how hard it is going on the road and winning. And, and uh, Mac Jones, who I have a lot of respect for, Bill Belichick for sure, he's a giant man. Um, so, uh, you know, I know they'll – Keep it close. Uh, they'll keep it competitive, but I, I, you can't. I can't go against Buffalo. Is amazing, big time player. The Buffalo defense secondary got back healthy, so I'm going to take the Bills in this one. It hurts me to say that because I'm such a Mac Jones fan, and I hate to. You know, we got a lot of Alabama players on that roster, uh, but um, I, I think the Bills, if I'm honest, going to win the ball game. Christian, you got a final thought? You need to talk about uh, Christmas gift I, I list got, with I your dad or something here. I, I got a final thought. Can I just say this real quick? I, I'm so mad and so sick of transfer portal already. I don't know about you guys, but I'm really hating the transfer portal. I mean, it's unbelievable preach, preach. what we've seen in the last couple of freaking days. And, Ben, I'm an old-school guy. Listen, you go to school – you go play for a team. You go play, right? If you don't start or don't your playing time is cut, 
then get your butt in the weight room and, and do something difficult and make yourself better. It's like, oh, if I ain't playing so much, I'm leaving. Where is where's accountability? Where, where You know, it's this ruining college football, guys. I, it's ruining college football. I'm not just talking about Alabama. I'm talking about college football, period. I hate the transfer portal because it's ruining the game. The guys are just leaving whenever they want to. Can I go get more money? Can I go get – listen, guys, I'm about players getting oh, paid. Yeah. But the, the, the system should be go to a school, go to Alabama, have great success, let these people come and say, hey, will you be a sports person for, for my Toyota dealership, my Mercedes-Benz dealership, my clothing line, because <laughs> you are successful as a player, not just what you did in freaking high school. Tell it like it is, Corey. Preach, preach it to us. Thanks, man. It's ruining the game and it's ruining the athletes. Unreal. Hey, are you sick and tired of living with that constant pain in your knees and back? You know, joint pain doesn't just keep you from doing what you love. It affects your job, your relationships, even simple things like getting... Welcome back to Big Noon Sports with Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter, and Christian Miller. Here we go. Matt, I think you wanted to keep talking a little bit more about that transfer portal. That was uh, that was great stuff right there from uh, from my dad, Corey Miller, yeah. a.k.a. the pastor of pain. Um, he's always fired <laughs> up, especially talking college football. But it, as you can tell, he, uh, he clearly does not like the transfer portal. Not a big fan of it. I want to give my two cents in. I want you guys to just jump on this with both feet, okay? My biggest issue is you've got a guy, let's say he's a three-star coming out of high school. He busts his butt in the weight room, everywhere. He learns his play. He learns his role on a football team. And he's coming into his senior year, and he is top of the depth chart. Boom, transfer portal. Doesn't play hardly at all his senior year. That just bothers the crap out of me, Christian. Yeah. You know, and I, I feel – that you know the transfer portal is you know definitely not all um bad you know it's not all negative i feel like there's situations where it's um it's warranted it's, it's very it's very much necessary you know you look at a situation again like i mentioned you know trey sanders you know he's um dealt with his fair share of injuries you know he's worked his way back and just unfortunately he's just buried on the depth chart right now and uh you know it'd be better for him to find an opportunity elsewhere and and I hate to say this but I'm sure the coaching staff would probably agree and almost tell him you know that uh, you know they they almost wish him the best and and think he should probably find another opportunity elsewhere as much as they'd love to have him but they know it's only fair to him um because he probably would uh earn some more time elsewhere but then I look at myself and and I know you know, in my time here, you know, I, I waited my turn and I was fine with that. You know, I, all, all the cards didn't always fall in my place, in, in the right place for me when I was here, but I always told myself I wanted to earn everything uh, uh, when I was here. And I was going to stick through it no matter what. And um, again, I'm not saying everybody's going to have that mindset, but I took pride in that. And it made 
my accomplishments that much more meaningful to me, knowing that I stuck it out and I earned every single bit of it. Um, and, and, you know, I ultimately was voted captain here. I ended up being a draft pick in the fourth round. And, and all that um, came to fruition because, you know, I bet on myself and I knew that I was going to go in there each and every day and work my tail off and I wouldn't be denied. I, w- I wasn't looking for um, another opportunity elsewhere. I knew that I came here for a reason and I wasn't going to leave here until I got what I wanted. And I think the issue right now is, um, y'all mentioned it, that it's basically, you know, guys are almost going in there with a sense of free agency where they're saying, hey, I'm going to go put myself in the transfer portal and I'm going to let these other schools or teams, whoever bid on me in this NIL war. And uh, I think it's just, it's, it's terrible for college football. And uh, I just, I really hope they find a way to, to manage it uh, moving forward because that's pretty much what people are doing. They're, they're putting their names in these portals and they're having these schools basically bid on them to come play for them. And it, and it's pretty much free agency at this point. Yeah, and uh, we've got some big-time breaking news that Matt's going to get here in one second. But I just want to clarify, there was some little confusion about uh, Kyrie Jackson, um, Alabama defensive back, who uh, he appeared in the first nine games of the season, including a start against Texas in Week 2. And then he did not travel to Ole Miss, and he wasn't spotted on the sideline against Austin P. And then on November 21, uh, Coach Saban revealed that he was serving a suspension. And he uh, entered the transfer portal, and then he withdrew his name uh, this morning. But he tweeted out that he intends to re-enter the portal on December 5th as an undergrad when the transfer window opens uh, again for um, for for players who aren't graduate transfers, so Kyrie Jackson is still going to be leaving the program. That's the bottom line. Matt, huge news. Well, um, you know, you always got to be cautious on what you see, but this is a, evidently, and and people post in in place of other people. So this is according to and. Should I mention the name? It's Ian Rappaport. Yeah. Um, Ian used to work here. He used to cover Uh, Alabama. Report is 24-25, 12-team playoff. 2024? 24-25 that season. So, I mean, folks, even I can look forward to that. (laughs) Pretty much guarantees. (laughs) If they put it off too much longer. (laughs) Pretty much guarantees Alabama's (laughs) going to be in it every year, so I'm okay with that. Every single year. Yeah, every every single year. I mean, imagine imagine all of the big-name... Uh, traditional blue blood schools that would be in the playoffs this year if it was 12 team, right? I mean, Tennessee, Alabama, Ohio State, uh, USC, USC. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I hate to say that we're going to be stuck with TCU, <laughs> but <laughs> TCU to me has the has the feel of like Cincinnati last year. It's a really nice story. Right, and 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 you want to cheer for the underdog, and but you just you, you sense that they're going to just absolutely get blown away uh, in the uh, in in the play in the first round of the playoffs. Um, but Christian, yeah, just your reaction to the news that that Matt just said. You know, I I really like it, and um, I think it's it's great for uh, college football, and uh, I think it gives. You know, numerous opportunities to to programs to have an opportunity to win a, a national championship, and you know, obviously Alabama, with it only being four team playoffs recently, we we still were finding a way in it every single year. But now, I think it's awesome that we'll get to see more teams able to compete. You know, I think four teams was just too limiting, and uh, 
too much of a constriction right there. But now that it's opened up to 12 teams, um, I think it's going to be a lot better for, for just college football in general. I think it's a lot better for the fans. There will be a lot more engagement now because now people will be tuning in to uh, all the 12 teams that are going to be in it, and they'll have a lot more excitement knowing that their team has a chance to play in it, and it's not just those four teams. I think in the past – We've just seen people pretty much say, hey, you know, oh, we're not in the top four. We're not we can't contend for a championship. We're just going to a bowl game. But now, you know, there's a lot a lot of uh, optimism right there because their teams will finally have chances. So I I, I love the move and I'm excited to to, for them to get it get it rolling out here soon. Well, also means you get a couple of wins. You're certainly not out of it. And in some cases, maybe you get three. You're still in it. All right. Here's something else. Joe Gaither just posted. Smartly, some bowls are planning to do NIL deals. For instance, if you go to the Duke's Mayo Bowl, you get a case. Okay, that's not really that funny. But uh, that's, that is huge. I mean, what are they going to get? Like it says here, what, did Bryce, what would Bryce command to play in the, in the Sugar Bowl instead of opting out? Yeah, um, that is going to be a huge incentive to for the 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 elite players to uh, compete in these games and so let's just go back like why is this happening now uh it's because the the final holdout in preventing the playoffs from making the early changes to uh expansion was the rose bowl but uh finally uh the the college football playoff committee officials uh, they issued an ultimatum to Rose Bowl organizers a couple weeks ago, giving them an end-of-a-month deadline. You either agree with what we're doing or you are out. And the Rose Bowl now, it was like, okay. <laughs> we uh, So the Rose Bowl is going to be a quarterfinal game uh, in both the 2024 and 2025 seasons. They don't want to be left behind. I mean, they can be the granddaddy of them all, only so long. <laughs> and and so I, I believe now that the first round will begin the week of Saturday, December 21, and that will be played at the home fields of the higher-seeded teams. And then the four quarterfinal games will take place at bowl sites. And that means the teams seeded one through four who get buys in the first round will not have a chance to host a playoff game. Uh, I think that's a little bit of a negative, but the buy is bigger, isn't it, Christian? Wouldn't you rather have and a so buy? Okay, yeah, just ahead. one last thing: sure. the national title game for the 2024 playoff, uh, according to what I have read, um, will be held on January 20th, and uh, the in the quarterfinals will be played around New Year's Day. So the season is going to be extended. What, uh, two weeks? Two weeks. Two weeks. Christian, uh, as a player, how taxing will that be to potentially play three extra games if you don't have that first round bye and then you make it into the national title game? And how will that just impact you as a student? So you're saying it's a total of three extra games now? I don't know. I might not have done my math correctly. Maybe. maybe for, for uh, because me, if you if you don't have if you don't have am I right on this Matt? If you're a twelfth seed, if you're a twelfth seed, you have to you, you go on the you road, on the road. You play, yep. and then you play at a neutral site in the quarter in the semifinal, and, and then you play eight, and then you play and then yeah. you play in the final. Yeah, so it would be three extra games, 
And so if you also play in your conference championship game, you're talking a total of 15 games, correct, or 16. Okay, no, that makes more sense. Sorry. So uh, this is how spoiled I am. I'm thinking we're already playing because every year that we played in a championship game, we played a total of 15 games. If I'm not mistaken, we played 12 in the regular season. 13 would have been the SEC championship game. 14 would have right. been the playoff first playoff game. And 15 was the national championship. So I was in my head adding three to that 15. And I was like, that's absurd. That's a, you're playing NFL number of games. But no, okay. Well, as someone that has played 15 total games four out of the five years that I was here, um, I almost got used to it. Um, obviously, it, it is pretty taxing on your body. Um, but when you're playing for a national championship, I think uh, – you negotiate with you know with yourself that hey I, I'm willing to to put my body on the line and to go through um, the physical toll in order to achieve that ultimate goal which is a national championship ring. So um, hey, if you want to win a ring, you got to you got to put in the work. So I think these guys will be just fine playing that. Now, if you had to play one extra game, totaling 16 games, um, you know I, it is what it is. Again, you're playing for a national championship. It, I think these guys will. Uh, They'll be just fine with that. But, again, I think this playoff expansion is the right move, and I think it's, it's, it's needed. And Sankey was saying, is that, the, you know, do we stop divisions now? Is this going to cause some teams uh, or some leagues not to have a championship game? I think there's a few blanks to put in here. But I'll ask you this, Christian, as we go to break. Did that ever affect your, your studies? I imagine with you being such a bright guy, it never really did. Not quite. No, it, 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 I don't think it did, especially because in the wintertime, we usually um, are out on like fall and winter break, I believe. So um, usually when we were preparing for bowl games and championship games, we weren't even in classes at the moment. Uh, we actually started class normally when we got back from the championship game, if I'm not mistaken. So, nope, our, our, our focus uh, went straight to football, 100 percent football because we had no classes. I know some schools actually cancel classes on the day of the national championship game. That's I'm right. not going to sure. say. I'm not going to say which what school. Well, I don't make sure. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> it's a holiday. That's right. Uh, hey, let's talk about this eighth grade football phenom in a moment. This is Big Noon Sports with Lars, Matt, and Christian. 100.9 presents a night with award-winning Elvis tribute artist Jerome Jackson Friday December 9th at 7:30 41 for tomorrow partially sunny the high 66 and for Saturday mostly cloudy with a chance of a few passing showers the high 65 I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9 it's 52 degrees in Tuscaloosa Welcome back in to Big Noon Sports. I'm Lars Anderson with Matt Coulter, former Alabama National Championship winning linebacker Christian Miller. We're now joined Donette Logan, a longtime friend of mine, two-time Emmy winner, excuse me, uh, 20 years as a sports reporter with NBC affiliates in Mobile, Orlando, and Birmingham. Uh, she was the producer of a sports show here on the NBC affiliate of Birmingham and used to boss me around 
when I would go in for my weekly segment. <laughs> and she's now the host of a of the uh, weekly warrior pre- weekly warrior preview and a sideline reporter for the Warrior Nation Network. Danette, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing great. How about you guys? Terrific. We're doing great. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, just first of all, your overall impressions of the uh, of the championship game last night and the young phenom, fourteen year old quarterback for Thompson. You, you know, there's I don't think you can put into words when you sit there and watch this team how much it's grown and just developed. There was questions at the beginning of the season if they were going to click the offense, you know. But people forgot this was not the same team we saw win those state titles before. But Trent Seaborn, eighth grade, came in. He's so calm, so collective. His throws are so precise. You know, it, it's funny. We play other teams, and people were kind of just shocked that he's an eighth grade kid at 5'11", and just how precise his throws and everything else is. And uh, when, when you talk to him, it certainly seems like there is a level of maturity just from afar from watching him that is rare for a 14-year-old. You know, there really is. When the season starts, I'll send out questions to these guys and kind of sit down with them and get to know them a little bit to find out who they are, just some little things about them. And when I asked him who inspired him, his answer right away is it's not just his parents, but he goes into details to tell you it's my mom because she worked so hard for our family. She makes sure we have great memories. My dad, because he pushes me. I mean, he's a very, you know, just well-spoken young man. He is he shows gratefulness in all aspects. We saw it last night when given the MVP trophy. He walked over and gave it to Corbin Williams, one of the receivers or senior. And seeing an eighth grader, fourteen-year-old kid, do that, you know, I don't know many grown athletes that would do that. But that just says so much about his character and what we're going to see from him in the years to come. I just wanted to ask you about, you know, speaking on Trent. You know, was this is this a surprise that he's playing at this level and accomplishing the things that he's accomplishing? You know, going into the year, did they expect this out of him if he was, you know, going to step up, or um, did it just uh, people already knew this? You know, going in that this guy was just um, a phenom and, and a generational talent. I don't think we knew it as much as Coach Freeman. He's got a history of bringing in these quarterbacks at a younger age and kind of growing his program starting down, you know, in our junior our junior school, like our middle school kids. And so, you know, he had Zach Sims and Sawyer Pate sit underneath him when they were 7th, 8th grade and kind of watch film and learn and grow and develop. And so he wanted to have that guy ready to go. The question was when the season started, who was it going to be to back up Zach Sims if something happened? Zach had an injury, couldn't come back. So Trent stepped up. And just to see him the way he has developed and grown, I don't think any of us saw it coming, but I feel like Coach Freeman knew it was there and just knew what he needed to do to pull it out of him. Donette, can you go back in his history here? We understand that uh, there was conversations uh, that perhaps would lead him to Alabama as early as when he was in the third grade. Uh, He was at Colorado. I hear the Tungled Violas were involved in this. Can you give us a, a brief history of his childhood? I guess, I guess that's what I'm asking. I do know he's worked with the Tungled Violas. Their dad has helped him a little bit. You know, he he does have some college offers already. None of them were SEC schools before. I think it was Maryland, Troy, North Colorado had all offered him, you know, I think 
seventh grade who's getting offers. Now, I think after last night, we probably will see several SEC schools come in and other schools offer him as well because we've seen the potential he has. But he's, you know, he's, he's a kid, and that's what you have to forget because when you watch him play, you forget you're watching a 14-year-old kid out there play. And when you speak to him, you forget he's a 14-year-old. And I asked him, you know, who he mimics his throwing style after, his play style. And, and he'll tell you his teammates call him Baby Brady, but he just wants to be the best Trent Seaboard he can be. And I think we're seeing that from him. It, it's a fascinating story. And uh, my sense is that this is not just a story that is making headlines in Alabama, but I think all across the country. Um, in a, in a, a larger sense, can you explain to our listeners why Thompson has emerged as just this dominant force in high school football in Alabama and and clearly supplanting Hoover as the team to beat year in and year out? You know, Lars, you'll, you'll remember this from, I think, 10, 15 years ago. Thompson didn't win games, you know, and people didn't want to cover them and go out there. And they just rebuilt and restructured, you know, got their own school system. And they put a lot of effort into finding the right coaches. I talked to their superintendent, Wayne Vickers, on Video Vision's broadcast the other day and asked him what he looks for in these coaches. And he'll tell you it's not always about them winning. He knows that's the ultimate goal. But he's trying to find coaches that buy into these kids in the program, and the kids will buy into them. And when you have that connection together, the wins happen. And he did that with Coach Freeman, bringing him from Spanish sport. You know, he's got a history of a strong offensive team, and that's where he specializes. He brought some of his coaches with him. After last year, we lost some. We knew that would happen when you win championships. Coaches move on to other jobs. He brought new guys in. But I think, honestly, it's just finding the coaches that care for these players and invest them. You know, you mentioned people met Freeman when he was in third grade. You know, I don't know how many coaches in the high school level, when you're building your program to win state championships, are going to go down and take the time to chat with a third grader who you don't really know what his potential is at that point in time. You know, but this is a team that has grown, and they are all very close to the coach. But I think that's been the key part is, is finding a coach that really connects with these guys and cares about these guys. I can ask them what they do in their free time, and you'll have some tell me they'll go fishing with Freeman, or they'll go out, hang out with the coaches. I mean, there's not, you know, see that connection there, that goes further than on the field. And we see that happen on a regular basis. Donna, you know, Coach Freeman's clearly been a paragon, you know, for coaches. You know, he's won four straight with Thompson now. Do you think they're worried about him potentially moving on? I mean, we just saw UAB hire Trent Dilfer, who didn't have any college coaching experience, but was a, was a successful high school football coach. Is there any concern that uh, Mark Freeman could potentially move on, uh, maybe to even the college level at some point? You know, I think that's always a concern when you have a winning coach, is someone coming in and them away. We've watched Freeman kind of go in and rebuild programs. He did it at Spanish Sport. He did it at Thompson. He comes in and just takes a program that is at the bottom and moves it to the top. So that is a concern everybody always has. But Freeman shows no signs of that. He doesn't seem to show anything. He's unhappy. His son-in-law coaches with him. His wife and his granddaughters at every game with him to make sure they're on the field. He's made a family event for him. You know, and, and he's been a home here at Alabaster. But I think anytime you have a coach that's taking your team to championships and doing what he's done here, that is a concern that you're going to have. And that just comes down to Alabaster and, and Freeman working out a deal to get him to stay. 
Hey, Donette, take a minute and tell us what you're doing and who you're involved with and a little bit about the team. Absolutely. So I am a freelance now with Video Vision Marketing, and they produce the Weekly Warrior Preview, which is a weekly show we have on Alabaster Living's Facebook page, where we kind of sit down and go through Thompson Athletics and just talk about the powerhouse they are and get to know these guys. We mainly make it about the athletes, trying to show them who they are off the field. You know, Peter Woods, for example, he's got an amazing singing voice. We've done that on the show, have them sing. So we do that each week, and then, you know, Thompson, their athletic director, called a couple of years ago, Vincent Pitts, and asked if I would be interested in coming back to TV to do sideline for the Warrior Nation Network. And the high school decided they wanted to launch their own network, and they wanted to just make sure people around the nation saw how good they were, and they thought it would help to recruiting aspect. And so we teamed up with Video Vision Marketing there as well so they can produce it and Every Friday night, we're right there on the sidelines of the team, bringing action on NFHS Network and on WarriorNationNetwork.org. All right, Danette, pers personal question alert. Um, look, you've had so much success in your career. You've won two Emmys. You spent 20 years as a reporter with different NBC affiliates. Why go back to the high school level? Uh, it, it, I, I love following you on Twitter, and it's at Danette H. Logan. Um, because you just you have so much joy uh, in, in, in that you bring to your coverage. What what was the decision to go back to high schools? You know, when I decided to retire from broadcasting, I thought I was done. You know, Lord, I got nervous when you said a personal question. <laughs> I wasn't sure where you were going with that. Oh, okay. um, <laughs> you know, many I, I, many I, directions, Danette. <laughs> <laughs> I was, uh, what are you I was doing, Chris? But, you know, I decided high school sports is why I started broadcasting again with. These athletes, they just have a passion for the sport, but I wanted people to really know who these guys are. I think a lot of times if you listen to the fans in the stands, they forget these are 15, 16, 17-year-old kids, and they are doing the best they can. They don't want to lose. They don't want to have an interception. They don't want to drop a pass, but they are kids. And I wanted people to really see who these kids were away from their sport get to know them and see the passion they have for life and for others. And I feel like if you do that, they appreciate watching them play a lot more. And I also feel like it helps the coaches at the next level understand you're getting more than someone who's got stats on paper. You're getting a great young man who just has morals for his community, his parents, his church so much. And I wanted to showcase who these guys were. Just outstanding stuff, Donna. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Danette. Thank you, Danette. Thank you, guys. I um, as you guys know, I'm a little bit on the age side. Uh, I was covering Thompson High School games in 1982. I got a great Thompson story, and what a success story it is! It, it involves a bread truck, and there's some real troubling news coming out of my hometown of Lincoln, Nebraska, and Mickey Joseph. It's breaking right now, and uh. we're going to uh, get into it. It's um, troubling well and, we got and, the good we got and, the bad and and it's, it's, it's sad it's a sad day sad day for nebraska you're listening to big noon sports from t-town to the plains this is alabama's most in-depth analysis on the sec this is Big Noon Sports. Well, I'm a orthopedic surgeon, board certified. Meet Dr. John Herzog, who's certainly done his share of knee and hip replacements. But these days, he's encouraging his patients to look at regenerative...
back on Big Noon Sports with Matt and Lars and Christian. Big story, unfortunately, coming out of Lincoln. Yeah, this pains me. Lincoln's my hometown. I named my son Lincoln after my hometown. Mickey Joseph, who served as Nebraska's interim football head coach for the final nine games of the season, and this is uh, according to new court filings that just came out, choked an adult women, uh, woman uh, amid an argument in his home in South Lincoln Wednesday afternoon. The woman told police that Joseph, who's 54, quote, pushed me on the couch and strangled me. That's what the affidavit said. The woman pushed Joseph off of her before he followed her into the kitchen and, quote, again, this is from the affidavit, grabbed her hair from behind and pulled her backward, causing her to fall to the ground and punched her in the head as she fell. When police responded just around 2 o'clock on Wednesday, yesterday, they found the woman with visible swelling to her left eye and several strands of her hair clinging to her pant leg, which she told police had been pulled from her head by Joseph. Again, this is all according to the affidavit. There was another another adult man at the residence, a relative of the victim, and he told police he saw the alleged assault play out, and he reported to the police officer that Joseph choked her before trying to grab her phone in an effort to flush it down the toilet. The phone had been placed in a container of rice by the time police arrived Wednesday afternoon and Joseph left the residence by the time the police got there. Police then found Mickey Joseph uh, in uh, the the 7500 block of uh, San Mateo Drive. It's in South Lincoln, I believe, about an hour later. He denied striking the woman or pulling her hair. He was arrested and taken to Lancaster County Jail where he stayed overnight. Uh, Prosecutors charged him with assault by strangulation or suffocation, which is a class three felony punishable by up to three years in prison. And he's expected to make his court appearance here uh, pretty quickly, next hour or two. And uh, Trev Alberts, the athletic director in Nebraska, said that he's aware of of what happened and he's not commenting. And, look, I advocated for Mickey Joseph to get the job big time. I mean, over and over and over on, on social media. Not that, you know, not that my voice carries any weight in, <laughs> in making a decision by Trev Al- or influencing the decision by Trev Alberts. It's just my opinion. I thought he did a great job. And I, I, I've known Mickey. Not, I don't know him well but known him for a long time. He played at Nebraska when I was living in Nebraska. And, you know, Matt, it's almost like I should recuse myself at this point because I I don't know what to say, how to respond. I mean, it's just horrible. Well, in total transparency, can I just tell her what I'm seeing? I'm seeing Lars, a man who is not shaking easily. You're you're visibly shaking. Uh, This is your hometown. This is your team. Um, this is your roots, and I can understand why you're upset. Um, on on the news side of this, um, and and it's all alleged, okay? I mean, you've got to go. There'll be a lot of courts uh, involved in this particular situation. But it does not sound good. And, Lars, I'm going to 
ask you one more question, and I'm, Kristen Miller is, is so good at just kind of taking a look from 3,000 feet, yeah. 30, whatever you want to do. But I think I read earlier today he had some trouble while he was at Nebraska as a quarterback, did he not? Nothing like this. Nothing, let me, nothing let me like emphasize. this. Yeah, nothing he, he, like this. Yeah, yeah. It, it was. Uh, I, I don't recall exactly what it was, but there was some, some, uh, some instances, or maybe one or two. I, I I can't recall precisely where police were involved, but you know, in the nine weeks that he was leading the team, he did for Nebraska really what Carnell Williams did for Auburn. He rallied that team. And much like Carnell Williams in leading Auburn to that win over Texas A&M, final game of the season, special moment, Mickey Joseph led Nebraska to a win over Iowa in the final game. And Iowa Iowa was playing to get into the Big Ten championship game. Iowa had a lot on the line. And, and and Mickey Joseph got the players to really uh, play with enthusiasm, got them to play to their potential, played with passion, and and Mickey was a lot like um, Carnell in that he'd be running up and down the sidelines, and again I I thought that he had a chance to become the head coach, like I thought he had a chance to become someone like Dabo Sweeney, who had never been a head coach before, never even been a coordinator before. Mickey Joseph, uh, and and that's what Mickey Joseph was. He'd never been a coordinator before. But when he was the wide receivers coach at LSU, guess who got Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson to play for the Tigers? Mickey Joseph. Those are arguably the two best receivers in the NFL right now. So I, I again, uh, Matt, I, I, I don't have words. I don't. I don't, I don't He's yeah. out of words. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't yeah. blame you. I don't yeah. blame you at all. Chris, it's, you just, it's, just, it's just sad. You know, I think it's just a, a very devastating situation. Um, I obviously don't know him or uh, as much about that program as you do, Lars. But you know, from what I've heard and what I've seen. Um, he, he was a highly, high, a very highly respected individual in that community. And, uh, you know, first and foremost, I want to, you know, offer my condolences and thoughts, you know, and, and, uh, everything whatnot to the, to the victim in the situation. Um, I don't know the, the details on it and uh, I guess we'll just have to wait for those, um, type of things to come out, but just a very unfortunate situation because, um, you know, we've been speaking on this guy recently and, and how, um, you know, how great he, he is as a coach. You know, you just spoke on how influential he is uh, to his team and how passionate he is. And, and just there's so much respect and, and so much said about this man in a positive in a positive way. But for, for news like this to come out, it's just so hard to hear. Uh, number one, it's it, the, the, the grim details are just kind of hard to, to listen to. You know, growing up, I was always raised on, you know, always respecting women and never putting your hands on women. And again, I know a lot of this, you know, is, is not firm details yet, but just from reading it, it's, it's, it's tough to read and uh, it's a very uncomfortable situation. I just, I hope they're able to, to work everything out. Uh, I could be speculating, but I think a lot of people are, you know, mentioning that um, more than likely it was his wife that was the victim. Uh, I could be wrong, but that's what I had read. And, 
you know, definitely just a, a sad day uh, when you hear stuff like this, when uh, it involves individuals that, you know, have always been held on a higher standard and have had such success. And then something comes out like this, just as you see with Lars, you know, it's it's difficult for him to process. But I guess we'll just have to keep monitoring it. And, uh, you know, hopefully everything works itself out. You know, in the truest sense of the word, um, big noon, big stories today. I mean, the playoffs are coming. There's NIL and the Sugar Bowl. Uh, this, oh, this, this story right here. I will try and add some levity. Yeah, let's. And uh, I'll bring up my bread truck story, let's, let's, which I actually think is quite compelling. Let's finish on a happy we'll, note. We'll give it a shot <laughs> in just a moment. This is Big Noon Sports with Lars, Matt, and Christian. The best sports talk in the state. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Research shows listeners prefer a personalized experience. So to help you remember Liberty Mutual customizes your home insurance, we personalize this ad for Amber, who really misses boy bands from the 90s. 41. For tomorrow, partially sunny, the high 66. And for Saturday, mostly cloudy with a chance of a few passing showers, the high 65. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 53 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Miller, Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter back here on Big Noon Sports. Appreciate you folks dialing us in. Back in 1982, when I first moved to Birmingham, I think that's probably before your guys' parents were even had even met. Anyway, it's okay. It was a long time ago. But uh, I worked for Channel 13. We used to get in a helicopter every Friday night, and we'd fly around to two or three locations, and we'd, we'd land and shoot video, get up in the helicopter, go hit another one, hit another one. It was... Uh, it was very exciting. Let's just say that. But were you ever scared? Uh, yeah, a couple of times we had some close calls. Well, we could, I could go there, but we won't go right now. Okay. Because um, in '82, Thompson was very good. This is back when they had four classifications. Thompson was a three. There were four, three, two, one. Okay. But because they were so good, we went there often. And first time I got there, I noticed on the sidelines there was a old beat up bread truck. Um, it was blue, and you could still see the Sunbeam logo, you know, with the little girl on it. It was fading. Uh, but on top of the bread truck was a guy that had a tripod, and he was shooting the games. And, you know, we were also set up, and we would shoot and be alongside him. I was going, that's very, very interesting. And this was 1982, and this guy had the foresight to start doing this um, for his local school. Well, uh, the next year, I think we went, by the way, Thompson went on to win the championship that year, which was very cool. They had five players off that team signed with either Alabama or Auburn. That's big time. But anyway, then the next year I noticed they had another camera and another camera. But the guy's name was Spruce McCree. He went on from Thompson to have eight satellite trucks and full production haulers. Covered the World Series, covered the Olympics. Covered the final four, all from a bread truck in Thompson. Wow, is that a cool story? Yeah, and all and all the time, still serving as a volunteer fireman. Gosh, the creativity and ingenuity—very impressive, very impressive. He's he's a really, really, really good guy. But uh, 
Anyway. I, I, I want to get into helicopter real quick. Okay. Did you ever have a harrowing experience? Uh, yeah. I don't know how far to go here because I don't want to, uh, you know, there's pilots and stuff involved here. I don't. Yeah. Uh, but it was very difficult to fly at night and land on a little baseball field in North, in Hazelwood. You know, back where, you know, all Antonio and the gang were all playing. Yeah. But, yeah, we clipped a tree once. Kind of knocked us off our Whoa. our balance. Um, wow. Once uh, coming back from um, very northwest Alabama, almost to Mississippi, um, there's some areas over there where at night there aren't very many lights, and that causes a pilot a problem because the the horizon, horizon. evaporates. Yeah. Um, and you, he, you could sense. tell we, he started rocking a little bit, mm-hmm. and then he he flat out said, "Guys." No conversation, focus only. And he got us through it uh, without a problem, really. We didn't shake much. I think we wouldn't have noticed it had he not been very, for, you know, he, he was very transparent and told us. I wish he hadn't. It scared the poop out of me. But, yeah, there was, there was some times, but it, all, it was also so cool. Uh, when you fly a helicopter into a little 1A school, that's important to them. The uh, one time I flew on a helicopter with uh, Tony Stewart from Homestead, Florida, the track there, the NASCAR track, Tony Stewart, the uh, I think he's a Hall of Famer now, but uh, it was uh, when he was he, he was on his way to winning the championship and we flew from Homestead up to Miami for an event. And I remember thinking when I got on that helicopter and we took off, I was like, man, if we go down, I'm going to be, like, in the eighth paragraph. Because it's all going to be about Tony Stewart losing his oh, life. Yeah, yeah. And, I, you know, who cares about this reporter from Sports Illustrated? But uh, we were fine. And it was... Uh, it, it's, it is unlike anything I've ever done, being on that helicopter. Christian, you ever been on a helicopter? I have not been on a helicopter. Uh, I have flown in, you know, small private plane um that that was pretty interesting definitely felt a lot more in that plane versus the big ones but never been in a helicopter they're pretty interesting to fly around in because um i've been told by the pilots and others that say in, in the laws of physics it really isn't supposed to work but it does and let me tell you one thing that you become acutely aware of the first time you ever fly in one is that rear rotor Yes. Because that is at eye level, and, man, it just scares you to look at it. It's just to think you might make a mistake and get anywhere near it. Uh, and, by the way, the ones on the top, if, if you're hitting some rocky weather and you land funny, they can bounce down. That's why everybody ducks their head when they run out and into a helicopter. One of my uh, close friends at Sports Illustrated, he went to West Point, and he wanted to fly helicopters, and he just could not land them. Because it, it takes a certain amount of dexterity and coordination feet. to do that. And uh, in, in one of my uh, students, uh, uh, she is terrific. She is uh, in the Army, and right after she graduates, she is going to uh, be flying Blackhawks. Whoa. Yeah. And, and it's like, we're writing sports stories here. Like, <laughs> I mean, I, I have so much admiration for Abby. I mean, she is just a terrific student. Well, it was uh, it was very very interesting, and for a guy that's afraid of heights, uh, I kind of got over that. But now that I've gotten older, I'm am just worse. I can't stand on this chair. 
But um, it was a whole lot of fun. And we used to use it other than high school football. This is back so long ago that we didn't have microwaves. We didn't have satellites, for goodness sake, and dishes and so forth. We would fly down to Auburn for the first half of an Auburn basketball game just so we could have highlights back for the for the 10 o'clock news. Wow. Now somebody on their phone sends it to you. Remarkable stuff. Were y'all the ones that inspired Nick Saban and them to dry the fields? Uh, no, I don't oh, think so. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, I'll tell you one time we were not liked well at all. It had, um, you tried not to land at halftime because the bands were on the field. And you drown out the bands. And man parents, no likey that. Uh, but we were landing, and it was on a baseball field we'd never landed on, and it had been dry for a long time. We created so much a dirt storm. And when we got in, there were people sitting there with dirt on them. We were, uh, we weren't very popular. Christian, were you playing at Alabama when uh, Nick Saban had when the helicopter came in to dry Bryant Denny Field? Uh, I'm honestly not too sure. You'd have to give me the year, Josh. Do you, Josh, do you know what year that was? Uh, I can't remember if it was 2017 or 18. I was there both yeah, years, so I, I guess I, I was I, there. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you guys weren't aware. He was of it. focused. Yes, that's right. I was locked in. All right, who do you guys like? Who do you guys like tonight? Bills, Patriots, Matt, Buffalo, Christian. I got to go with Buffalo. I hate to do it to my guys in uh, in New England, but I got to go Buffalo. Yeah, I think uh, Josh Allen's going to have a big night. Uh, hopefully, Mac Jones can play well, but uh, the Patriots have struggled a little bit on offense, so I'm going to go Bills as well. Which means since all three of us are taking the Bills, it's definitely going to be the Patriots. Go Patriots all the way. <laughs> all right. I'll take the Hey, thanks, stand. guys. And it was t- 2018, November okay. 24th. Oh, I was. Great yeah, show. I was Let's there. do it again tomorrow. See you. Shop all at the JCPenney Friends and Family Sale. Through Wednesday, use your 30% off coupon inside the JCP app and shine on with up to 60% off.